Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said to him, Will he kill himself? Because he says, Where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you, You will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just as I have been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to say to you, to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And he spoke these words, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. As far the word of God. May the Lord add his blessing to it. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do pray for your blessing, not only the on the reading and the hearing of your word, but also the preaching and the hearing of your word. Father, we need you to be at work in us. <clears throat> for apart from you, we can do nothing. But you have promised that you will bless those who seek you and draw nigh to you, Father. That is our intention and our purpose in worship, even as we come to this pinnacle of the preached word. We pray that Christ will be set before us and that you would give us understanding that we would behold him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we're making our way through the Gospel of John, we've seen the opposition to Jesus grow. Jesus has been challenged. He's been falsely accused. The religious leaders have sought to set traps for him. They've looked for any way to ensnare him and make him look bad in the eyes of the people, even as they're always seeking to exalt themselves and have the people follow them. Remember that Jesus delayed going up to Jerusalem at the time of the feast, this feast that has just concluded because of the opposition. He did not go up immediately, and then we're told that he went up secretly, and then remarkably, as the feast was underway, then he comes forth in the temple and he preaches. What's the problem with this people? What is the problem that Jesus is facing? Fundamentally, the very heart of it is unbelief, no faith. Unbelief is what ensnares them. If I say Nazareth, what do you think? The word Nazareth, what comes to mind? What do you think of when you hear Nazareth? You probably would say, well, that's where Jesus grew up. And you would be correct. That is where he grew up. That was his hometown, the hometown of his youth. But what else do we know about Nazareth? It was in that village where Jesus grew up that they rejected him. He was a prophet amongst his own, and they received him not. We know from the record of the Gospels that Jesus visited Nazareth at least two times, two times that are recorded. And it was a town that was filled with so much unbelief that other than Jesus' own family, there is no record of anyone being converted from his hometown, this town in which the Son of Man, the Son of God, grew up in because of unbelief. Unbelief is a serious matter. At the time of John 8, Jerusalem is doing a little better. He's not in Nazareth, he's in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is steeped with unbelief as well. Oh, the people, they listen to Jesus, but they're not repenting. 
harken back to what we've just heard from Isaiah as God entreats and pleads. That, that pleading of God, that offer of God still is true. And here is God the Word, even in their midst, calling sinners to himself. Well, the people listen, but they will not repent and turn to Christ. There's very little evidence of faith. If you measure Jesus' ministry by human standards, you would say he was a failure. Even in the end, the 12 that had been following for three years, they too fled. Like so many days, thing, like, um, like so many today, the people of that day, they just wanted Jesus to be quiet. Particularly the Pharisees, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the ruling party of the Jews, they just wanted Jesus to be quiet. They just wanted him to shut up. They wanted him to go away. They were weary of him, weary of his preaching. They wanted him to be silent just like so many in our day, even down through the ages to this day. Christ's voice can still be heard whenever and wherever his word is faithfully preached. We hear Christ. It is his appointment that we would do so. And with the blessing of his spirit, we hear the voice of the master calling. But again, even in our day, there are some, they have no use for it. They would have him to be silent. They would have him to go away. They don't want the master. They don't want his message. They don't want his ministry. Today we are surrounded by unbelief. And we are in danger of it becoming a snare even unto us. In this text, John records what happens when Jesus and his word are rejected. When sinners persist in unbelief. Let's see if we can profit from the preaching of this passage. Four points. When preaching stops, why preaching remains why preaching is necessary in when preaching is blessed. When preaching stops, or we can say when Christ departs. In verse 21, this isn't just a supply of information that John is giving here. Then Jesus said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me. He's not just telling us, Jesus announced he's going away. Really what is happening, if we rightly understand verse 21, it is like a thunderclap, a pronouncement of judgment that the word of God, the Lamb of God, who came into the world to save sinners, is announcing to these rebellious people with steeped in their unbelief, he is saying, I am going away. The Pharisees, as I noted in the introduction, they've opposed him, they sought to trick him, to trap him, to make him look bad. And Jesus' words... I am going away is a pronouncement of doom. That the words of life will go away. That the living word will go away. Jesus, or John records that Jesus said to this to them again. Jesus said to them again. Because if you flip back to John chapter 7 and verse 33, we find that Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And then verse 36, but you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Said again in this chapter, the third time, very emphatic, very clear. Jesus is proclaiming to them that he is going to return to the Father. He came from the Father. He was sent from the Father. He he is Jacob's ladder, as we heard earlier, that extends from heaven to earth. He has come down from the Father to do the will of the Father. But he's going to return to the Father. When Jesus says, you will seek me, what does he mean? It's clear from Jesus' next words that they will, uh, 
not be seeking him by faith for salvation. When he says that you will seek for me, it's not that they're suddenly have a change of hearts. Oh, we, we need to turn to this Christ. Commentators differ. I think the real sense of it is that some, some have suggested that they will seek for him, say, in 70 AD when the destruction comes upon Jerusalem and Israel is destroyed by the Roman Empire. Some, some say, well, that, that's what he had in mind. They'll seek for him then. But I think it's best to understand that this seeking of Jesus that he speaks of is at the time of one's own death. And that's a timely word. You will seek for me and you will die in your sin. So sober word. This alarming truth, children, even for little ones like you to take to heart. There are many who grew up in the church, lived their whole lives rejecting Jesus. They are fixed in unbelief and not willing to call upon Jesus for salvation. And so when the time comes for them to die, they will face death without hope, without comfort. They'll have no peace in that moment but only terror. You will seek for me, but you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. Instead of looking to the light of the world, people look to all kinds of alternatives to satisfy their conscience. Today it's so easy with a phone in your hand and social media sources by the, not even the scores. I don't even know anybody can count how many options and apps and social media venues there are. And it's so easy to just dull the mind and to cover up the conscience, listening to, to music and flip, flip, flip through the screens and you name it. And to forget there's a day of death for us all. It is appointed unto man Woman, boys, and girls wants to die. And then the judgment. Jesus says, if you seek for me then, you won't find me. And you won't be able to come where I'm at. Imagine facing the great abyss of death, death without hope. To be looking at death as it comes to gather your own soul. And to have no Christ. To face that darkness and to have no light. The terrors of death are overwhelming. Those who have lived their lives in sin will die in their sin, Jesus says. They will have no redeemer to rescue them. They will perish in sin and unrighteousness. Jesus makes it very clear. Where I am going, you cannot come. In the passage, we're told, he's, he told them earlier where I'm going. He's told them all along, I have come from the Father. I do the will of the Father. I say what I hear my Father saying. He's made it very clear that he is a messenger. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah, the, the prophecy of Jehovah's servant. He is that one. And he has completely yielded and submitted to his heavenly father to proclaim the truth. These Pharisees were self-righteous children. What that means is these Pharisees thought they were good enough to get to heaven all on their own. They thought they had accomplished enough that, that on the day of their death that they could stand before God and and somehow convince him that he should let him into heaven. So often people think that, well, I've, I've not been that bad. But you see, if we've done anything bad, just one sin, one time of anger, one time of disobedience, one striking of the brother, one lie, one stealing of something, we're sinners. And we cannot go to heaven without a Savior. We need someone to stand before God. On our behalf. 
You see, these Pharisees believed they, would already, they were already accepted. But sin condemns us. Remember what we learned, heard back in John 3. <clears throat> John three, seventeen or 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. If you believe in Jesus, you're not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Notice how this is, we've seen this unfold in the verses we've covered in these later chapters. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, light exposes our evil deeds. But that is good that we should have our evil deeds exposed, that we would realize we're sinners, we're guilty, we're bad. And Jesus comes to save bad, guilty, sinful people. He doesn't save any others. That's the only kind of people he saves because that's the only kind of humanity there is. Bad, evil, guilty people. But they've rejected him. And all those who reject Jesus Christ will die in their sins. And that day the people had the light of the world. Imagine that, Jesus, the light of the world is there in their presence. He has been faithful. He has preached everything that the Father has given to him to proclaim. The God who is true and righteous and altogether lovely, who is merciful, sent his Son into the world to proclaim truth to them, to shed light upon them, to show them the way of salvation, to invite them to come unto him. The light of the world has been with him. The living word has been present. God, the word, has been preaching the good news of the Father. The sinners would be saved. It was a genuine offer. We've heard how God sent his son. Remember Jesus said it was necessary that he would go to Sychar. And there he met a woman. A very unlikely candidate. A woman. Who shares the gospel with her. She's converted. She goes into the village. She testifies of what's happened to her. The village comes out based on her testimony. And then they hear Jesus. He stays with them several days. And he teaches them. And then we hear their testimony. First we, were, we believe because of your testimony. But now we've heard for ourselves. And we believe. Samaria. The village of Sychar, the light came, and Christ poured out his spirit and drew to himself a people. But in Jerusalem, these people saw no need. Remember the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, the Jews, they looked down on the Samaritans. Samaritans, it was like a, a slur. They, they, there was a racism about them. They were evil in their hearts towards those people, and yet the light of the gospel came to them, and those people repented and believed. In Jerusalem, Jesus is rejected. Luke tells us in Luke 8, 1, Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom. That's what he came to do. Now, there's a point, this is in this context, so remember right, Luke 8, where the disciples said, hey, things are going here, ministry's good, let's, let's stay a little longer. They're in Capernaum. He says, no. He said, it's for this purpose I've come, to preach, to go and to preach the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Mark 1, we have that very clearly. Jesus says, let us go into the next towns that I might preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Jesus came preaching. He preached with authority. The apostle Paul declared that I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So the preaching, the message 
is Christ and Him crucified. And the major means by which that message is communicated is through the preaching of the Word of God. And Christ preached the Word of God. We're going to see that He preaches Christ and Him crucified Himself. And so it is. He's faithfully preaching. And that has enraged the Pharisees against Him. And so it has enraged people down through the ages. Children, do you know that in North Korea and in China and Iran and other places that men and women are in prison because they believe the gospel, they talk about the gospel, they seek to live the gospel. It's costly to follow Christ. But Christ does not forsake us. There's still men who oppose the truth. We see that a gathering of storm clouds. I think of some of you have seen the movie The Lord of the Rings, and you know as the Mount Doom is gathering its strength, and the armies are preparing to go for war. You see that dark cloud spreading further and further into the west. We see that happening. I think that when Tolkien was writing that, he was mindful of what was happening in the world, and we see it today. But you see, there's a light that drives back the darkness. It's through the preaching of the Word of God. Well, so far in John's gospel, we've seen two things happen when Jesus preaches. Two things happen when Jesus preaches. He either withdraws from them or the people withdraw from him. Remember after the feeding of the 5,000? There were those that turned away and they followed him no more. When Jesus preaches the truth, that's the response. People either are drawn to Christ or they turn away. Or Jesus walks away from them. In either case... Sinners remain in darkness. The light of God's truth comes only when Christ is preached faithfully from his word. No Christ, no light. And how great is that darkness? Children, you'll remember when we're talking about being in Mammoth Cave. How great is that darkness? Absolute darkness. You cannot find your way. And so it is as you live in the world. If you are apart from Christ, you have no light for living You need Christ. So Jesus underscores this truth. In verse 24, he says, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. And where I go, you cannot come. If you do not believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the believing you have life in his name, you will die in your sin. There's no other way. John 14, 6, Jesus declared, I am the way. Yes, it's exclusive. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It is necessary to have faith in Jesus Christ as he offers himself. But adding to this, rejecting Jesus adds to your judgment. These religious leaders, and indeed all who heard him, who rejected him, and refused to hear him, even as it is today, those who refuse to come to Christ as he has proclaimed and preached, to to hear his offer and to embrace it and to come to him, it is just but further judgment upon them. Today we live in a day where a lot of people will say, well, I'm spiritual, right? And people, that's a big deal. You hear it in the media, so-and-so spiritual, or a person of faith. People say, well, I'm a person of faith. You know what? Whoopie do. Seriously. You're spiritual, you're a person of faith. So what? If you do not have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no possibility of salvation. And where Jesus is gone, you cannot go there. You cannot get to heaven by being spiritual. You cannot get to heaven by being a person of faith. You must have faith in Christ alone. And to reject that 
is to bring further judgment upon yourself. You see, we are made religious. We were made to worship God. We're made in His image to worship Him. Sin has marred and disfigured that, but as image bearers, we will worship something. And most often, you know what we worship? Really, you know who we worship? Ourselves. We're happy to go in our own way, to make up our own truth, and we're encouraged to do so today. You know, my truth's my truth, you have your truth. No. Jesus Christ is the truth. And that truth is revealed in the Word of God. You reject the Word of God, it is further condemnation. Children, you are surrounded by voices today. I have said this to you before. There are many who would call to you to say, forget that church stuff. Get out of that place. Run away. Go somewhere else. Forget the Bible. This gospel is nonsense. Come follow this. Go after that. Those are lies. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. These people rejected Christ. He's the one who can bring us to God. They rejected him. They turned away. And it was to their condemnation. John records in verse 22 that they answered him. They're words of mockery. So the Jews say, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And they had some uh, imagination in their religious minds that to kill yourself would put you in some unusual place. And the only way you could be there is if you too killed yourself. It's interesting how that idea persists amongst Roman Catholics today. But they were really mocking him. In the previous exchange, they wondered if he meant by saying that he was going to go away, that he was going to go to the Jews of the dispersion. They really don't know. That was their answer that time when he told them that. This is their response this time. The irony is this. John's gospel, remember, has ironies. The irony is here that Jesus was going to lay down his life, not commit suicide, but to lay down his life as a sacrifice to save their people, save his people from their sins. And but these men rejecting him made it impossible for them to go where he was going. They rejected him, and you can't go to heaven when you do that. The Pharisees rejected Christ, the preaching of Christ, and Jesus was clear that when the preaching stops, people perish in sin. One of the prophets spoke of a famine of the word, and the people were grieved. We're told that in one of the awakenings in Great Britain, a man preached faithfully on that text about a famine of the world, the great danger of having a famine of the word, no more preaching of the gospel. It was like all the lights would go out. And the people were so moved by the Holy Spirit that one man, uh, they they didn't have cars in those days, kids, and he got ready to go. He went out to his horse and which reached up the saddle to kind of bring himself, and he just was weeping that he had no strength to mount his horse because he was so grieved at the idea that there would be a famine of the word. The preaching would stop. What would that do to you today? It's a serious question. What would happen if there was just no more preaching? There was no place to go to gather preaching. All the podcasts, all the sermons online, sermon audio, all that stuff's just wiped out and gone. There's no preaching of the word. What impact, be honest, what impact would that have upon your life? I hope that your response would be that you'd be devastated. You would be grieved. You would be broken. You'd be saddened. Just through the preaching of the word that the scriptures are open and Christ is set before men. 
what Jesus is telling these men, that that's what's going to happen. When the preaching stops, people perish in their sin. Why do you think Satan works so hard to enlist as many as he can to oppose the faithful preaching of the word? You can be honest. Uh, he doesn't care about the, the so-called mainline denominations that are dying. They're dead because they abandoned the preaching of the word long ago. Remember Romans 10. Paul makes it very clear how essential it is to have the preaching of the word. Romans 10, 13. Forever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what we've been seeing through the Gospels. You call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Then Paul goes on. How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? You have to call on Christ. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear him without a preacher? Paul gets it. Do we get it? Preaching is essential. The Pharisees, they are weary of it. Just go away. And he didn't go away of his own accord, although he did. He laid down his life. But they seized him and drug him for Pilate that he would be crucified. They wanted him silenced. My friends, you children, children, you've heard the good news preached many, many times. Each of you with your own capacity for understanding, you've heard the truth. And what has been your response? How have you responded to the truth of the gospel? Many of you have been given eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart of understanding. God has worked in you. God has blessed you with new life. Praise be to God. And you see, the, the, the good news of the gospel isn't just Christ died to save sinners. These whole 66 books is the word of God delivered, and therefore the whole of it is good news. And we need to hear the whole of it preached. Jesus said, go make disciples, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. That means we're to teach the whole counsel of God, all 66 books. Praise God if you have a heart of faith. Some of you have intended to do so. You say, well, I, I, I know I need to do this at some point. But you put it off. But maybe there are some of those who are just rejecting Christ. I plead with you, don't be like the Pharisees. and Push Christ away. Don't persist any longer in not coming to Christ. Indeed, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Well, consider, secondly, why preaching remains. Jesus does not need permission to continue to preach. Praise God. He has all authority. He's been sent from the Father. He doesn't need a certificate from man. And that's good news for these Pharisees. Look at verse 25. And then they said to him, Who are you? And the word of mockery. And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. Jesus is saying, I'm going to keep on preaching. Even as they mocked him, saying, who are you? That's an expression of their unbelief. They've rejected the truth. They cannot know him. They cannot understand him. But Jesus is not done with them. He's going to continue to preach. And what's remarkable is that we find some of them ultimately came to salvation. If you read in Acts, when Paul comes to Jerusalem, I think it's a time when he is then arrested and in prison for years to come. 
And his arriving there, the apostles that are in Jerusalem say that not a few priests have believed, which is a round roundabout by of saying a lot of priests have believed. Those that were opposing him have now believed. And it is good that Jesus would not be silent. He was sent by God to declare all that God had given to him. And he's doing that. He's being faithful to the Father. He's being obedient. And Jesus is the only answer for sinners. Jesus alone saves. Again, children, young people, know whatever messages you hear in the world, they're all false unless they declare Christ and him crucified, the only hope of glory. There's salvation found in no other. The only hope is to be in Christ. So preaching remains. It remains because God still has mercy. He is long-suffering. He continues to send preachers forth. Isn't it remarkable that with all the opposition, some 2,000 years since Christ ministered on earth, there's been wave upon wave upon wave of opposition to the gospel. In some nations so severely that they've sought to stomp, stomp it out all together. I, I, I believe that no one is preaching. Like we're here gathered now as a people of God with a word being preached. No one's doing that in North Korea. Why doesn't God just go and destroy North Korea? Because he's merciful. We don't know what the long run might be. God may remove this regime and send preachers into North Korea and see hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions come to Christ. God is long-suffering. And so preaching continues. You think about Europe where preaching once thrived and was widespread and mighty and powerful and great preachers. We read books from Puritans and Lutherans and others in the past and they're so strong and their preaching was so great. And now... It's all but gone, and yet there are still faithful preaching posts even there because Christ still has many things to say and judgments. There's an element of judgment. Preaching is an exercise of church discipline. We come under the word of God, and God is at work in us to correct us, to instruct us, to train us. Yes, sometimes even to rebuke us. And so preaching remains What happens today when the church meets opposition to the gospel? And we are in our day. We are. And you're seeing even the answer to that question for some. What's their response? It's compromise. Or a little bit of pushback and people quit. What happens when you share the gospel with a coworker, a family member? They give you some pushback. They're skeptical. It's so easy to quit, isn't it? And we've all done it. We've all been silenced. Walk away, my dear friend. It's only if we preach Christ and Him crucified that there's any hope of salvation. We don't need the permission of anyone to proclaim the gospel. Keep on preaching Christ with confidence because it's His message and it is truth. Yes, we should be winsome and so forth, but preach Christ. Tell people the truth. They are perishing in unrighteousness and without hope in the world. And if they don't believe, they cannot go to heaven. They cannot go to heaven. They will perish in hell. That should alarm us if we love them. A little pushback, push further. Push forward with the truth. Pray and be confident in God to bless his ministry of the word whether it's being preached or you're just proclaiming it as a faithful witness. If we're going to make disciples, we trust God to accomplish his goodwill. 
as a church and as preaching posts, we must never waver in our commitment to have Christ preached. That's on you. This congregation is yours. Whoever's in the pulpit, whatever they're proclaiming, really falls back on you. Will you tolerate error? Will you, will you tolerate half-truths? Will you tolerate compromise and the introduction of a world a message that's more acceptable to the world? May it never be. And to that end, pray for the pulpit. Pray for the pastor. Pray for the preparation. Pray that God would preserve the enduring preached word because it is through the preaching of the word that God is still calling men and women, boys and girls to himself. That really leads us to why preaching is necessary, our third point. If people in the world do not like our message, we don't adjust it to make them happy. We need to tell them the truth. I think uh, you children can see the, the foolishness of that. Children, I want to try to help you and understand this. I want you to think about, you come to my house, just for excitement, uh, I live where there's some deep ditches and, and ravines that you can fall into, and there's a bicycle sitting there. I know for a fact the brakes on the bicycle don't work, period, flat out, the brakes don't work. But you see that bicycle, it's just your size, you say, oh, I want to ride the bicycle, it looks like so much fun, I want to take off and ride around, but because of where I live, you need brakes. And I say, no, 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 no. You need to understand, you don't want to ride this bicycle. It's not safe. I don't like your message. I want you just to pretend like the brakes work. It's okay. Let me go. I want to have fun. Would I be kind and caring to you to say, <laughs> you're right, the brakes just work because you want them to work? Is that foolish? Yes. And so it is when people say, I don't want to hear the truth of the gospel. Change it to make me happy. And it's foolish if we do otherwise or we do so. And what's sad is many, many churches, churches in our own denomination, are adjusting the message to suit the world around us. God have mercy on us. God help us. We need the word to be preached. We need the gospel to go forth. And part of the going forth of the gospel is the law of God that says you are a sinner and you are condemned already. It's not what you do in this life that gets you into heaven or hell. You are hell bound already. We need to tell people that and then tell them the sweet and the wonderful and the glorious good news of the gospel that Jesus saves sinners to the uttermost. He takes filthy sinners and washes them with his blood. He takes those who are in rebellion and he brings them into the house of God and he brings us home to heaven. The only way that we can escape the judgment for sin is to be found in Christ. That's just the facts of the matter. You hear it in our world. It's like all paths lead to Christ, or lead to heaven. All, all religions are just as equally legitimate. No, they're not. And we must never pretend otherwise. We must preach the word. It's necessary that the word be preached and proclaimed because that is God's way of announcing salvation. Jesus Christ and him crucified, the only hope of glory. These Pharisees did not like that message. They did not like being told that they were filthy, wicked, evil sinners who were condemned because of their sin. They did not want to believe that was true. They thought it would be fun. Children, here's a connection to the bicycle. They thought it would be fun to just take off and live their lives however they wanted to. But they needed to know, no, it doesn't work. You need a redeemer. In the end, at the time of death, when we stand before the holy, holy, holy God without Jesus, 
You'll be far worse than racing around on a bicycle without brakes. Eternally worse. A crash is one thing, but eternity in hell, eternity in hell is forever. This is what Jesus tells them in verse 28. Then he said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. I always do those things that please him. When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, the very cross that these men would soon demand that Pilate hang Jesus on, then it would dawn on them who he really was. The earth shook in a violent earthquake. The the skies were as dark as night in the middle of the day. You know, at least the one Roman soldier, soldier at the foot of the cross recognized who he was. Surely this was the Son of God. Indeed, these men, even then, so hard in their sin, we know that what they went on to do. They came up with a lie. It was revealed by Daniel that the one who would come would be the Son of Man. And Jesus, look at how he refers to himself. When you lift up the Son of Man, these scholars of the Old Testament scriptures should have said, that's the language that Daniel gives for the Messiah, the one that God sent into the world, the one who God would send, that they should recognize. Then it would dawn on them. But he is when he says, then you will know, he is not saying, then you will be saved. No, they will realize that they've been terribly wrong. How could you not? How could you be present on that day in Jerusalem with all that happened? Dark skies at noon, the earth quaking and rumbling, people coming alive out of their graves. It was stupendous. How could you not know that something most remarkable was happening? But no, they realized their error. And what they do, they, they said, we want it. Pilate, let us put a guard at the tomb. Put a seal on. He says, go do it. What good did it do? Why did we celebrate today? It was not possible that that grave should hold the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the Son of God, sent to do the will of the Father, and he had been obedient, and the Father raised him from the dead, even as the Father had given him authority to raise himself from the dead, and the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, and he came forth, and those men that were present, they were struck down, the tomb opened. They could not keep him from going. And so they come later in the day, and they report to these same Pharisees what happened. And they paid him off to go tell a lie. The disciples came in the night and they stole away his body. And you know that that has been passed on to Jews even to this day. They still believe that's what happened. Even with all that evidence, Christ arose. Jesus told them through preaching as he is to them, when, I, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. As his message has been, I've been sent from the Father. I do the will of the Father. I say the Father's message. Jesus was obedient in every respect. For some, the preaching of the gospel will be the way of salvation. Others will hear it. It will be for their further condemnation. So when the church tones it down, then the sinner will not know the truth and perish in unrighteousness. One of the prophets... um, well, Paul speaks of it. Let me go with him. There's one of the prophets says it too, that he says, you know, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why could Paul say that? Because he's been faithful. 
He's preached the message that God has entrusted to him so that the blood of no man is on his hands. He's been faithful in all his responsibilities. That should be the desire of every faithful preacher, to preach the truth. That on that day, we'll stand before God and that the preacher can have a confidence that I've been faithful, not perfect, not flawless, I'm a sinner, but I have been faithful with the message that you've entrusted to me, O God. And therefore, I have the blood of no one on my hands. But when we compromise the message, and indeed when the church turns away and adds to, takes away from the message of the word of God, then indeed we are not serving this generation faithfully. And blood will be on our hands. So what does it mean to us? Well, as I said before, we need to be faithful to the message. And if that results in opposition, we should not be surprised. So be it. It's been that way from the beginning. And for members of the church, as I said before, let's expect a faithful pulpit. Let's pray for a faithful pulpit. When we bear witness to unbelieving family or friends, trust the message and trust the one who gave it. Jesus is still baptizing with the Holy Spirit. He is still converting sinners. Tell them the truth about their sin Tell them the truth about the glorious Savior. Jesus tells us in verse 29 that he was sent. Sent. He who sent me is with me. You see, Jesus had this confidence that he was being faithful. Remember, he is a man. He is the God-man, but his humanity is as our humanity, as the weaknesses of our humanity, yet without sin. Why was he faithful? He depended upon the Father. He looked to the Father. And the Father has not left me alone. The Father was faithful. He said, I always do those things that please him. My friends, that should be our goal as Christians. That should be our goal. The Father has not left us alone. And we should pray that we will always do those things that please him. That's the life we're called to live. And John 20, 21 will be there eventually. John 20, 21, Jesus said, peace to you. He's speaking to the church. As the Father sent me, so we hear right here in verse 29. As the Father sent me, even so I sent you. We have been sent by Christ according to the will of the Father to go into the world. Go with confidence of the one who sends you. And, the God, the, and may God make us faithful to do always those things that please him. I want to close with one final point briefly. When preaching is blessed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 30. And he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now we're going to go on from that. Commentators differ. I'm persuaded that what John is recording here is that this sermon had an impact. Martin Luther says that this passage we've just heard, this sermon of Christ, Martin Luther says it was a dreadful sermon. It was a hard message to hear. It was a direct message. It was a faithful message. It was directed to those that need to hear it. A dreadful message. And it went forth from the Savior's lips and it accomplished God's purposes. For some, they were further hardened in their sin. But for some, they believed. It is very clear that God's ways are not our ways. And let it, again, this embolden us and encourage us to proclaim the good news of the gospel to any and others. God will give the increase. Many churches who would never think to preach with such directness and boldness as Christ does here. But we are called to be faithful and wait on the Lord for the increase.
There was an increase that day. Could it be that Nicodemus was that day that he believed? There's no evidence that in the exchange in John 3 that he did, but could it be that Nicodemus, maybe Joseph of Arimathea was in that mix? There, there, there are no doubt were others that we don't know their names, and right now they're in heaven with Christ because they believed. We're going to see that there's a mixture of this believing, but what we want to understand is it's the powerful working of the Holy Spirit that brings men to believe. Let me conclude with this one thing. My dear sheep and lambs, what is your response to the preached word? Amen. Father, we ask that you would bless us to respond positively as you would accomplish in us that which you have purposed with the sending forth of your word. We have different needs. Some of us are mature in the faith and to be grown up even more. Some are new in the faith, still drinking milk, Lord. Sometimes the meat is hard to take, but Lord, we pray that you would mature even those. And Father, those who have yet to come to Christ, we pray that you would draw and bring them. That the conclusion might be, as we've heard in this text, that some believed, even many believed. Lord, may it be so as your word is preached today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.